Hello, dearest audience. Welcome back. I hope you are having a dazzling, delicious day. Welcome to Chemohawk Sessions, Chapter 4, White Collar, Black Belt, Evaluation Elation. You like that? Does that rhyme work for you? Does it move you a little bit? Here is to you, audience, for making it a zero F-stars given day. It recently dawned on me, in further reflection of our prior episodes, that a new workplace philosophy, or mantra if you prefer, is needed as we toil onward, what I call the 12 F-stars a year philosophy. This means you have 12 F-stars and only 12 F-stars a year per annum to contribute towards work. No more, and there is no rollover should you have, let's say, a hectic January and devote 12 F-stars to work for that month, then come February, let's say you have a whiny, sniveling customer is perturbing you, or your boss is asking repeatedly, incessantly, for that same assignment you've already provided them, sorry, I am all out of F-stars. I blew my batch of F-stars last month. Think about it, audience. Marinate on that, please. I have some questions I would like to pose to you. Have you ever walked into an office nook or turned on your FaceTime to have a one-on-one -on -one with your moderately esteemed supervisor and heard this? Or have you ever provided your supervisor a well-articulated, vainglorious soliloquy speaking specifically to your selling points for the year and why you should receive the highest salary bump workplace crown cap only to hear then you are listening to the appropriate session de la chemohawk evaluation elation the message of this episode is embedded in the title how can you have an evaluation with your supervisor and leave it feeling elated and not despondent Okay, elated might be a, a high aim that we may not be able to target, but we are aiming for elation and that will make it so that the yin and the yang for all of the things that are going to come your way throughout the year, the stress, the trouble, the workplace pandemonium situations that lead to a sense of sensory overload, at least if we can have something mirroring elation periodically throughout the year, which traditionally is one of the most difficult things to endure, which is sitting in a room without windows. I don't know about you, but all of the one-on-ones I had at my former company, it was always me and my supervisor in about a 10 by 12 room with no flare on the walls, no windows, a closed door. It was like I was being interrogated by a member of Johnny Law or the Gestapo and I had no idea if I was even going to be leaving the room or if spotlights were going to be shown in my eyes or if I was going to be denied a request to make a phone call or have a bottle of water. It was very, very depressing, the one-on-ones. And doing a one-on-one -on -one now in a more virtual age where you're on FaceTime, those can be even more brutal because you've got that linger where you say something and then they're still staring at you with that big red John Madden face and they look stupid and they look disoriented and they look lethargic. 
And then about three seconds later, they react and you're like, okay, um, was the joke lost? Does this mean a auspicious year for me? Or does it mean a damning year for me? What What's the situation here? Whether you're doing it face-to-face -face in real time or face-to-face -face through the computer, the one-on-one -on -one is a very tricky undertaking. So I'm going to provide as many tips throughout this evaluation elation episode so that you can leave feeling at least a little bit better about your prospects. Evaluations with your supervisor or one-on-ones, mid-year, end-of-year reviews, calibration sessions, workplace mile markers, whichever expression you determine suits you, I am here to discuss the oft-dreaded, sometimes fruitful, always stressful, power and placement powwow with those who are holding the reins, how to stay positive throughout the evaluation, ask good questions, compliment your supervisor for their insight and input, if your supervisor asks for honest feedback on their performance, proceed extremely cautiously and never under any circumstance, regardless of what cause, lose your ice cold cool. They may tolerate a passionate employee who works as hard as the company line may tow, but there is no place, there is no shelter for your righteous, vitriolic, sanctimonious passion when you believe you have been slighted, shafted, or marginalized. Like the Hellraiser weaving through traffic with mud on their license plate who gets pulled over by the law, this is not the time to read the law, the Riot Act, and remind them that you know what your rights are and act belligerently like an insolent infant. You debate your case later under more calculated conditions in a court of law with an objective judge. Look at that example. You're getting pulled over for some minor infraction and you know that in that moment, you pretty much have to concede what Johnny Law is telling you to do. If you start arguing, if you start resisting, if you start making a federal case about, well, have you had your speed gun calibrated recently? Or do you know how much money I pay for your salary through my income tax? If you start getting into all that, you're going to lose. Now that losing can be anywhere from now you're certainly almost guaranteed a ticket to getting pushed face down on the front of the, well, it used to be a Crown Victoria. So now I guess it would be something like a Dodge Charger. But the point is you're not going to win your verbal battle in the street. You wait, you let your immediate anger, your passionate side, you let that dwindle and you face it later under much more cool and calculated conditions. You do the same thing when you're getting a one-on-one -on -one and you're getting that immediate feedback. When you're being told that your work is mediocre or is vanilla and acceptable at best, when you're being told that, yes, we have de definitely taken into consideration the numerous fantastic feats you've performed this year, but we really needed more of this and less of that. When it starts becoming this wizard wordplay where everything seems to be turning against you and you already know before the review or the discussion is even finalized that you will not be walking away with that A plus to take home to your parents and put on the fridge. When you already know that things are not going the way that you've worked 11 and a half months or five and a half months to now 
be getting the official word of how your work was viewed and perceived. Do not let your anger and your angst and your resentment get the best of you. You need to really shove that F-Stars stuff down and you need to remain calm and you need to remain poised. If you start talking about how angry you are and how unfair it is, like a child on the playground, it's not going to be received well. You're certainly not going to get the decision or the evaluation that's already been concocted for you personally for that year. You're not going to get that reversed. They're not suddenly going to have a change of heart and say, oh, you're right, our mistake. Let's revise your review, give you a higher ranking, give you a higher salary, and then go back and change all of the circumstances for the 35 to 50 other employees that we've already arrived at. Because this was all done behind closed doors. The managers sat behind closed doors and they evaluated each individual for their individual performance for that entire year. We know that it took them sometimes four hours, sometimes two days to deliberate and arrive at what our merits would be. There's no way that they're going to put in that time and then come back and reverse their decision. So you're not going to get it changed. If you throw too much of a tantrum, you're going to soil your immediate future because the supervisor is going to now label you someone who cannot take critical feedback or you cannot take constructive criticism or whatever fancy collegiate words they want to use to say that they told you that it was not good enough or that it was trending in a forward direction, but still it has not reached the initiative. You just want to be mindful of the fact that they're just doing their job. They're probably wrong or they're probably left out some important things that you did achieve that year or the things that you thought valued at a 10, they have somewhere between six and seven because their focus was on something else. Just keep in mind that it's not personal usually. So don't take it personally. They're giving you an opportunity to take it like an adult and act mature. So don't give them the satisfaction of blowing up and going over a litany of semi-irrelevant concerns that they don't have any control over. I have a dear friend, former colleague. He had a review once with his supervisor and it went south. And the supervisor was telling him that he wasn't even meeting expectations, that his performance was lackluster. Well, my dear friend and colleague, he went on something of a tirade where he said, look, I'm married. I've just been given this review by you. I spend more time at work than I do with my own spouse. Now I have to go home and I have to look my wife in the eye and I have to tell her that I'm a loser because you think I'm a loser because this place has deemed my work to be loser worthy. And how am I supposed to have respect? How am I supposed to have self-respect as a man, as a husband, when all this time and effort and energy I put into this job, you're telling me it's not good enough. I can tell you that that did not get the decision changed or revised or amended in any way. And dealing with this particular supervisor who I actually had some workplace experience with, he did not have the mental acuity or the emotional IQ to even really process what my buddy was saying. So it fell on deaf ears. I guess the only positive that came out of that was he got to get it off his chest. It was a good release of that built up frustration, but it was not the appropriate time, I don't think. So always act cool, be Iceman, be a robot when you're having these one-on-ones 
because the idea of the the human emotional component it's not really going to be a pivotal factor it's because that's not something the supervisor is interested in they're interested in going over the numbers the metrics the data and in some instances the supervisor's hands are tied because they may want to give you an a plus but there may be three A-plus slots that can be filled that year with the budget. They may owe another supervisor a favor from some past back scratching or some aforementioned service that they provided them. They feel that they owe them. That supervisor really wants to give someone on their team the A-plus. So you go ahead and you say, okay, you take the A-plus this year and I'll try to get it back next year. And I'll just spend some sly, surreptitious tale about how, oh, this is your performance and this is how it's lacking. I truly believe those types of circumstances occur. I'll never be able to prove it. But the point is there are powers in play that are beyond your pay grade and you're never going to be an inside person on those discussions. Remember, these reviews that occur are behind closed doors with management. I know that it took them sometimes four hours sometimes two days to deliberate on what every individual's specific individual ranking would be that year. And sometimes you would get uh, a really high review and then you wouldn't get one for three years after. I think it has less and less to do with your actual performance and more and more to do with various machinations and various insidious circumstances that are in play that you're not privy to. So just know that your review They'll claim that it has everything to do with your specifically tailored performance, but in fact, there are other things going on. That's another reason to not take it personally. Please do not take it personally if you're told things that you just feel are too harsh or are inaccurate. Now, that's not to say that if you're being told something that's factually incorrect, you're certainly allowed to speak up. In fact, I encourage it. I encourage you to always be competent and certain in your word choice and how you defend yourself, how you make sure that you set the record straight. It's it's very precipitous. You, you want to make sure that you are very painstaking with what you say and when you say it. Because again, if you're very amped up and you're very passionate about something, you might not want that to be the moment that you choose to speak on it. You may want to wait until the next day and then have a clarification session with your supervisor to discuss anything that stood out to you that may have seemed a little bit odd or that may have seemed a little bit inaccurate after you've had some time to reflect on it. I certainly recommend, again, if we are following the tutelage that this is a marathon and not a sprint, you have time. You have time to sit there and think about, okay, what exactly did my supervisor evaluate me on what were their concrete examples? How can I take this information and verify its accuracy, come to my supervisor with anything that I feel they misjudged me on or that they stated, which is a factual fallacy. You want to be confident, but you also want to be mature and you want to be professional. Do not explode on your supervisor, no matter how correct and true you may be. Instead, listen, acknowledge, and never F-stars stop smiling. Shake your supervisor's hand if you're still in a physical workplace office building. Shake their hand at the end of the meeting. No one shakes hands anymore. And I mean pre-COVID. It is an art that has been lost like so much to the dark ages. Shake their hand 
and look them square in their peepers. You want to remind your supervisor that you are a carbon-based, flesh-and-blood life form and that you matter and it's just going a little bit extra. You're shaking their hand with confidence. You're looking them square in the face. If you got a review that you were hoping for and they sang your praises, it's really just kind of like tipping the poker table after you just won a big jackpot. You're kind of sharing the good news with them and you're uh, letting them know that you appreciate them. Same thing here. On the other hand, if you had a bad one-on-one that was filled with a lot of despondent takeaways and a lot of unflattering remarks or something to that effect, then you're shaking their hand and you're staring them in the face, letting them know silently that you're putting them on notice and that you are going to be taking your work even more seriously than before to prove them wrong, to let them know like, okay, I see where you're coming from this round, but I'll see you at the next one-on-one and things will be different. You know, I'll come with both barrels loaded. Okay, that's probably not a good example under the workplace safety practice. Don't bring a weapon. I'm just saying that you're going to come with an energy drink in your gullet. You're going to come aware. You're going to come alert. You're going to come with facts to back up your arguments. And you are going to come with the most up-to-date, specific data to validate your claims on why you deserve the highest ranking possible. Then you have the corporate blister that is the exhausting two-on-one. So this trick was pulled on me where my one-on-one at the end of the year was not just with my immediate boss, but my boss's boss. So it was two-on-one. It's not like one was there as my advocate. It's not like one was there as a neutral and objective third party that was an arbitrator of the one-on-one. No, it was two-on-one. It was one asking me, well, why did you do this? And the second one, yes, why did you do this? And I'm having to answer the same question repeatedly. The most frustrating aspect of the two-on-one is that there is a further degree of workplace separation between you and your boss's boss. You're lucky if your boss knows your work product adequately and has done your job before for a long enough time to fully understand the ebbs and the flows and all of the idiosyncrasies of what you face on a daily basis. Your boss's boss is so far removed from the day to day that they're really not offer they're not able to offer anything meaningful. They're not able to contribute really anything of substance. They're just asking procedural questions. I was highly annoyed, but I was in retrospect satisfied with how I left that two on one. I felt like I stood up for myself but I remained professional, mature, and I did keep my cool for say 90% of it. The boss's boss, they are less familiar with the day-to-day fundamental minutia and their distant bird's eye view may show more of the terrain, but the fine details are blurry. So in a sense, they're replacing the zoom ability of the lens with a wider angle, kind of like seeing the forest for the trees. As you know, I am a fiend for employing use of the expression F-stars and potent anecdotal quotes. So here are a few for your listening pleasure. The robbed that smiles steals something from the thief. Shakespeare, from the aforementioned, if you heard my prior nugget about the tuxedo creature on my cover art, Othello. This quote to me is so thought-provoking and memorable and clever. Think about you are 
you are a jewelry owner and your boss has just grabbed some of your precious stones. The goal, of course, was to deny you the possession of these stones and this jewelry. On a second approach, they were also there to ridicule you or to make you feel bad or less than your full self. And if you smile in the face of that, you are actually giving them the best retort possible. Because on the one hand, you're not giving them what they expected, which was for you to be devastated. And secondly, you're letting them know that you're still in the fight. You're still here. You're not going anywhere. And you will not be defeated. So think about that in place of your workplace, your one-on-one -on -one reviews. If your boss just for lack of a better phrase, tore you a new one, smile, take it, take it with, okay, thank you very much. And, and let them know how appreciative you are of all of their criticism and all of their observations. Let them know that you heard them, that it registered with you. You're going to take it seriously moving forward. The rob that smiles steals something from the thief. Just absolutely mesmerizing. Second, ambition is pitiless. Any merit that it cannot use, it finds despicable. Eleanor Roosevelt. Ambition. Be very wary. Be wary of your own ambition. Be wary of ambition in others. If you have a colleague who you know for a fact is more ambitious than you, they'll usually not be shy about it because with ambition usually comes confidence. There has to be a correlation between the two. But if someone is overly ambitious and they've made that clear, you might want to steer clear of them or you might want to mislead them. But do not share what you really think with them ever. Because people that are very ambitious, they also tend to be opportunistic and they tend to capitalize on weaknesses. Obviously, it's easier to get ahead and to step over stones if you've situated it so that these obstacles have a disadvantage so that it's easier for you. So just be very careful who you talk to, what you say to them, and that includes supervisors. If you know that a supervisor is your supervisor in the interim, but they have their sights set on something far else, way above any you know register that you can recognize, know that they probably won't be your supervisor for long. So with that knowledge, keep in mind that there's no reason to burn your bridges with them. They might come in handy later because if they're so ambitious and they're working their way up, when you have your one-on-ones with them, it's a great opportunity to discuss, well, supervisor, what are your goals? What, where do you see yourself in three years? So I would do that. When I was asked questions on my one-on-one, -on -one, I would flip it back. I would flip the script and I would ask my supervisor, well, what are your ambitions? You know, How much longer would you like to be a supervisor? Do you have your eyes set on, on upper management, on marketing? Where do you see yourself in the company and how do you see yourself performing the functions of the company at a different level? Or how are you going to challenge yourself moving forward? And the answer was usually fascinating because what I would get a lot was, oh, you know, I'm, I'm happy where I am for now. I'm, I'm, I'm checking on a few things. I'm stirring a few cauldrons because they're wicked. They're wicked witches. But I, I really was surprised that they could spend an hour and a half grilling me about my three to five year future. But when I asked them three or four simple questions, the answer was stagnant. I was just, I was shocked by that. But that's just some edible food for your thought knowledge there. From the moment that door shuts behind you in the office or that camera picks up the slumped, 
unflattering visage of your supervisor in a virtual setting, remain positive, focused, and undeterred until you are thanking them for their time, and then long after. Falsetto Prophet. You like that? You like how I wove in some self-serving, flattering dialogue and a quote that I composed myself? That one needs no further explanation. So as far as tips, remember to give humble, complimentary, acknowledging words of gratitude for your supervisor's help throughout the year. Even if your supervisor is the Antichrist, you will likely be able to find, if you search in the cockles of your mind, you'll be able to find some selling points. You'll be able to think of a few examples of when they helped you, when they maybe there was a situation that you made a mistake and they helped you rectify it, or they at least mitigated the fallout from it. Or maybe there's just a few things that you learned, not because they're exemplary in any sense of the word, but just because they have some experience being a manager. Be making mental notes throughout the year of these situations where they made your life a little easier or better and tell them. Tell them, tell them, tell them constantly of anything that they've done. Don't keep it a secret. Let them know that they are making a difference and that they are making your life better. It's just something that's partially kind of paying it forward. But supervisors, like anyone else, they like to hear complimentary words and they like for you to be taking an active interest in the business dynamic between the two of you. I tried the rogue lone wolf approach of leave me alone to perform my work with aplomb and competence, and I shall leave you, supervisor, to focus on your rife supervisor-themed housekeeping tasks and directing your scant attention to those teammates, because we would have teams anywhere from eight to 10, who are buried or otherwise struggling. I thought I was doing my supervisor and myself a favor with not troubling them with my problems. I tried to fix my problems either solo or by reaching out to a trusted peer. In the end though, I can tell you, I should have roped my supervisor in with more frequency because I think that the supervisor is also trying to evaluate themselves because they have a manager of their own that they have to report to. This approach, it did not earn me any accolades or grant me any favors because your supervisor is only your ally and benefactor to the point that it allows them their 15 minutes in the spotlight with their manager. The more you convey and articulate the concept that your supervisor was an integral linchpin in any success you may have stockpiled or any acclaimed accomplishments, the more your supervisor will be involved, which can sometimes pay dividends in your performance ranking in your future. While these compliments that you give your supervisor may on occasion be disingenuous and ring hollow, as your supervisor may have performed no additional support whatsoever, or maybe even failed to meet the very rudimentary essence of their duties, you must sing their praises with lingering and loud vocalizations, because the better you make your supervisor appear, the greater chance you stand of being crowned the coveted victor. Remember that a perfect performance one year does not beget subsequent perfect performances. It is a risky proposition going for tip top of the totem. While they claim that each year is bifurcated or segmented on its own annual merit, having no effect on future years, 
you must remember it is a human-oriented system. Managers remember adroit talent as they remember colossal missteps that were made. This time can jumble together and their frenetic minds, and the more laurels of yours they have to polish, the greater the outcome. I compare this to the Academy Awards. You would think if you had some extremely accomplished, Juilliard-studied, Shakespearean-style method actor, someone like Daniel Day-Lewis, that takes their work extremely seriously and spends like a year prepping for the role and then spends that year or that year and a half fully engulfed in the role, you would think they could conceivably win the Academy Award for Best Actor three years in a row. But it never happens. How are you going to have an actor who is just a better actor? They're more superior. They're in these big budget, big production value projects. And then they win one year and then they don't win for three years and then they win on that fifth year. That is such a discrepancy to me. To me, if they're the best actor, they should win, even if it's five years in a row, if you're basing it solely on talent. The issue though, like these year-end reviews, is that your performance, like Daniel Day-Lewis's performance, may be tip-top, second to none, untouched, but there are other factors at play. So with the Academy, it's corrupt. They may only be devoting 30% of their decision based on your actual performance. They're paying favors to past celebrities, lobby groups. There's actors that they know they should have given an Academy Award to 10 years back. So they're just honoring them with this belated award now, like Sean Connery won an Academy Award for the Untouchables, but that wasn't even his best role. Understand that there are factors in play when these supervisors meet behind closed doors and their little cabal to discuss your future, there's 50 people that they're evaluating. And every supervisor is going to fight to the last man for the members of their team. And it becomes unfair because if you have a hierarchical chain of command where one supervisor has more seniority or more authority, and or they're just more robust with their managing approach, they're gonna bully the other managers to see things their way. So this exact situation happened where one of the managers was more forceful and she had been there for over 30 years. You can imagine that when it came time to divvy out the scant amount of bonuses or higher salary position placements that it was always people on her team that were getting as many of the slots as possible. And so if you weren't on her team, she would only be fighting for people on her team because it was also self-serving, because if a supervisor has four top performers on their own team, the supervisor can also wallow in that credit. But there was a conflict of interest, I think, to an extent where the supervisors that were more vocal or they were more forceful or that had more longevity in that they had more of a standing in the company because of seniority or tenure, if you will, they were able to get their way more frequently. So if you were on a, a supervisor's team who was soft-spoken or who was a sissy wimp, then you we're likely not going to have them fight for you like that other supervisor, that more loud and proud supervisor would. This was also a factor that could be working against you. I always had this thought that for them to conduct the reviews with the highest level of precision, accuracy, and fairness, what they should do is take all of the employees' written self-evaluations at the end of the year and hand them to supervisors that are in a completely different department have them read the reviews 
and give a ranking just based on what was written and then take those written scores and apply them to the final analysis that the supervisors in our own department arrived at and see if there are consistencies and see if there are outliers and see if there's like a Venn diagram of overlap where the supervisors that have no knowledge of who these employees are and can have no bias, how that stacks up to the biases that exist from the supervisors that are you know, managing these people daily. They never did that approach. They never were not they were never going to take the time to pursue that thread, but I think if they had, it would have been a much more strong foundation, well-balanced, evenly measured analysis that we were entitled to. But that's not how they did things. Remember what your salary and benefits offer in comparison to the impending output of energy, stress, and gallons of pride you will have to swallow throughout what can feel like a lengthy, tedious year. Remember, the department you work in is not likely in a financial position to grant all of the raises, promotions, and exemplary tokens of rank as they may claim. They are constricted and confined by the limits of their performance budget. So just be mindful of that. To state that differently would be to say, be mindful of any extraneous factors that may have a direct relationship to your anticipated end of year monetary bonus. Come with big picture panoramic questions. Ask your supervisor about the future of the department and any mammoth changes or new implementations that may be brewing. Ask how to be successful and make your supervisor explain it to you. Ask your supervisor what their own looming aspirations are and about your salary. Ask questions. Come with prepared questions regardless of how the one-on-one deviates or what direction it chooses to travel. Just come with questions regardless. Now here's a personal nugget. Allow me to tell you a time I felt the most proud of myself in my entire life. When I felt otherworldly and superior beyond any tangible, graspable explanation. I can tell you it was not from anything work-related. Work usually left me feeling deflated and somewhere between zombified and comatose. But with this looming example, I was made to feel like an F-Stars superhero. I never lost my F-Stars hair ever when I was going through a very aggressive chemo. So there I was and I was getting my chemo infusion treatments. And because I was young, I was in my very early 30s. And because of the type of cancer I had, I was told with a big thick binder, I was told by my oncologist and at least two infusion nurses and everyone else that I talked to, what to expect, what physical deformities would befall me throughout this aggressive chemo treatment. And I was told I would lose my hair, my eyebrows, that my nails would turn black and just a medley of terrible, terrible side effects. There I was and it was like finishing up my first infusion session. I decided just to get a mohawk, like go ahead, shave the sides. What difference does it make? I'm gonna lose the hair anyway. I adopted kind of a mohawk faux hawk years ago. And I was just waiting for that hair to just fall from my skull and leave a DNA trail on the ground. And it never happened. I never lost my hair. I would see people that started their chemo sessions the same time I did and they lost everything. Hair, eyebrows, they looked, their faces were sunk in. They looked like the walking dead. And I just felt so pleased. I felt so pleased with myself. I felt so grateful. And I felt like a superhero. I felt like I was magical in some way that at least in that particular facet, I could not be injured. 
And I remember having coffee with one of the infusion nurses after the fact. And I really grilled her. I said, listen, why did I not lose my hair? How unusual is that? Like, what is the deal? Do I have some superpower with my scalp? Should I start coming up with a nickname for myself? And all she said was falsetto look. I've been doing infusion for a long time and I'm very familiar with the chemical cocktail that you were given. And by all accounts, you should have lost everything, your hair, your eyebrows, and you never did. So I can't explain it. You're a modern medical miracle. And I said, thank you. That's my personal nugget. That's the, the best I've ever felt in life, as odd as that may sound. And then I go back to work after surviving everything. And I'm, I'm made to feel like the scum that tracks to the bottom of your shoe after walking through a pig farm. Tip of the day, clear off your F-Stars desktop. That screen should look like the vast blackness of the solar system with nothing but your recycle bin, critical program icons, and one, count it, one miscellaneous folder. I know what you're thinking. Some brilliant workaround of keeping your desktop devoid of clutter, but then opening a folder and creating multiple sub-mini folders. Unless you are meticulous about dating each entry and organizing it so that you can find it instantaneously, don't bother. Half of the information that you will receive at your white collar job, you will never use. And the other half, only sparingly. Eliminate clutter, eliminate distraction, and invite a clear mind and a mental fortitude to vanquish the upcoming challenges with adroitness. Keep your desktop cleaner than the tip of your domesticated cat's or dog's tail. To loop this into having one-on-ones with your supervisor, you don't wanna go in with jumbled thoughts. You wanna be clear, you wanna be concise, you wanna be orderly. The easier you make things for your manager, the easier your life will be. If you think about it, your manager has things that they have to do. There's things that they wanna do, there's things they don't wanna do. The same things that you're complaining about to your colleagues about, oh, the horror, why do we have to do this? They're having to do these piddly superior serving tasks that in no way benefit them. It's just something they have to do for procedure's sake. They don't want to sit there and try to decipher what it is that you're trying to tell them. Just tell them and have your thoughts arranged in a very palatable configuration. Make it easy for your supervisors. I am not a pious mammal, but I will now incorporate and at first glance, irrelevant example of being the best version of yourself during your evaluation phase or any serious promotion discussions. I once sat transfixed watching a theologian and, a, and professor as he conducted a course called The Seven Deadly Sins and The Seven Holy Virtues, the primary and concomitantly most deadly, baleful, and insidious of all of the seven deadly sins is pride. He asked the mixed bag audience of life forms if they consider themselves to be prideful. He was met with the typical shakes of the head and mild rejection of his assertion. He then asked if anyone in the classroom, mass, had ever been offered a promotion at their job, only to then decline the promotion, suggesting instead that a colleague who they genuinely believed to be a superior worker or possess greater skill or understanding of the subject matter, be promoted in their stead. That was the that was the question. Have you ever have you ever put a promotion aside and offered it instead to a colleague who you felt would be a better fit? No one raised a hand or offered any affirmation that they have ever performed that act. That stuck with me. 
In fact, it latched onto me for a while and infected my thoughts for a long time after that. In the competitive office place petri dish of white-collar shouldering, backstabbing, and sometimes full frontal assault, who would ever remain humble, magnanimous, and wise in their direct suggestion to management that they consider an alternative for promotion? Again, go in with both barrels loaded for this metaphorical gun. Do not bring a weapon. Occasionally bring up your salary and state your goals. Tell your supervisor, this is how much I'm making. This is how much I want to be making. How do I get there? Take me, help me, help me take there. Usher me to where I need to go. Who do I need to sit with? What certifications do I need to get? What missions do I need to accomplish? Who do I need to impress? What are the goals? Make your supervisor state the goals as specifically and concretely as they are able. Always understand wisely there are politics and limited funding involved. We talked about the Academy Awards. We talked about the politics of it all. We talked about the fact that your supervisor is but one insignificant cog in a very big system. And they may actually want to help you sometimes. They may want to give you a top ranking one year, but they may be limited in what they can do. It all comes down to how much you trust what your manager tells you and how much their reasons make sense to you. Regardless of what you call your evaluations, you just always want to remain cool. You always want to keep things pleasant. You always want to be the most mature person leaving the room. Shake their hand. Shake your manager's hand. I can tell you that I had about eight different managers throughout my time at my former company at least. Eight that I can actually visualize when I close my eyes. Only one manager would ever shake my hand. And it's not because my hands are grotesque. It's not because they're smelly and furry. It's not because I have claw hands. It's not a greeting or a salutation or a thank you for your good work mechanism that is employed anymore. People just don't shake hands. And I think it's a good way to remind your manager that you're a human being and you have human being feelings and that you matter. And while you may not be a unique snowflake, you definitely have a certain perspective that you offer. I think that shaking of the hands is paramount and that you should you should do it, even if you're the one that has to initiate. You work in a virtual setting, don't don't try to do some sort of virtual fist bump. We talked about, you know, be wary of two-on-ones where your supervisor and their boss are both grilling you. Know that you're gonna have very limited interactions with your boss's boss. So you wanna you wanna make that time matter as much as possible. You wanna use it in a way that lets you shine and doesn't air any of your dirty britches. Be mindful of that. Also, you know, smiling in the face of what you feel may even be something lingering on the border of an insult to your work product and how much pride you take in it. Remaining dispassionate and keeping a cool head, of course, that's paramount. Compliment your supervisor. Sometimes you'll mean it, sometimes you won't, but make sure you let them know how much of a difference, any difference that they made and your continued abilities and your continual growth as a performer. Remember that the manager evaluation system is a human one, so there are bound to be mistakes, errors. If some supervisor, if they ever cite you for something that's holding you back in your performance, but you know it to be factually inaccurate, even if you don't have the facts right then, let them know that you're contesting it, but that you will get back with them with your full frontal assault of their registered complaint and how it is filled with fallacies and is erroneous. Come with big picture questions about the future of your company. That's it. I mean, if you take this information, only 30% of it 
at the very least, I think you'll have a little bit better understanding or a little bit more optimistic approach to the 12 or 24, however many meetings that you have throughout the year with your manager discussing your future and your abilities. Little linguistic observation of the day. If you are familiar with the quote, great minds think alike, something that maybe you've heard from a supervisor or a colleague, it's a very interesting collection of words as it both pays a compliment to the recipient and is equally self-serving to the speaker, a dual purpose expression, if you will. Be mindful of people and be vigilant of those who only give you a compliment when half of the compliment is also redirected back at them. Is it really a compliment? All right, audience, thank you. Thank you for your attention to detail and your lasting, lingering patience. I am here at your behest. I am here to make your life taste a little bit sweeter. And remember, no matter how hard you work, there are always others working harder and they are finding loopholes and they are probably speaking behind your back right now. But do not let that perturb you. Thank you for letting me help you unwind the daily grind. Falsetto out.